Welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Meet him, greet him, treat him, and street him. Today's date is May 12th, 2018, and I am your skeptical host, Ken Milne. I get delirious. Well, actually, the title is Excited Delirium Syndrome, and our guest skeptic is Dr. Chris Bond. Chris is an emergency physician and clinical lecturer at the University of Calgary. He is currently the host of CapeCasts, which highlights education innovations from emergency medicine residency programs across Canada. Chris also has his excellent FOMAD blog called Standing on the Corner, Minding My Own Business, Sock Mob. Welcome back to the SGM, Chris. Thanks very much, Ken. Well, we are excited because it's another SGM hot off the press. I am really excited as well, no pun intended, to be back on the SGM. Well, we like to cut that knowledge translation window down from over 10 years to less than one year. But in this case, the SGEM hop, we get to whittle it down to just one month because we've got a paper that was just published May 2018 in Academic Emergency Medicine. Now, usually we have the lead author on these SGEM hops, and that's one of the really cool things about these special episodes. However, due to some language barriers, which I totally understand, Dr. Gonan will not be on the podcast but rather, he's going to respond to our nerdy questions in written form. Chris, you ready to go with the regular episode here? Let's do it. Okay, give us a case. A 24-year-old male is brought into the emergency department by police. He was running around wearing a Batman suit. He might have even thought he was Bat-Doc. That's some crazy guy who records podcasts. I don't know who it is. He was jumping on cars and he's screaming and yelling. He is brought to the emergency department extremely agitated, and despite being held down by a couple of police and three security guards, he's still trying to bite the staff. You can't obtain any vital signs, and this patient is clearly a danger to himself and the staff. How will you manage him? Excellent case. Excellent case. And I don't know who you're referring to, but cases of extreme agitation have been described in the literature since the 19th century, with Luther Bell's eponymous quote, Bell's Mania, being published in the American Journal of Insanity. Yes, that's right. There was an American Journal of Insanity. And now it's called the American Journal of Psychiatry. But back in 1849, published in the American Journal of Insanity, Bell's Mania. Now, Bell distinguished these cases of extreme agitation from delirium tremens diseases of meninges, and advanced typhoid based on a list of clinical criteria, as well as autopsy results from the brain and intestines of these patients. So I loved doing the research on this episode and going back and actually being able to find these old articles. The American Journal of Insanity, this stuff was published. You can find actually all of this stuff on various university websites from the United States and uh, reading over these old these old cases and basically case reports is crazy. Yeah, I'll put a link in the show notes so you can go back to that original article from the American Journal of Insanity on Bell's mania to read. Yeah, so in this article, Bell's case mortality rate for this condition was approximately 75%, though this was by no means rigorous data analysis. This was the classic old gobsat, good old boy sitting around a table he basically said, I looked at my diary, and this is what I've got from the last 10 years. And interestingly, physicians of the day didn't think these cases of extreme agitation would benefit from venesection, aka bloodletting, but they did recommend this for the differential diagnoses for excited delirium. 
Yeah, and we've covered Alexander Hamilton's bloodletting experiment from 1816 on Camp Fever with Dr. Rob Leeper on SJAM 200. The number needed to harm, and in this case death, with bloodletting for soldiers with Camp Fever was four. And therefore, we could not recommend bloodletting as a treatment modality for Camp Fever. The term excited delirium syndrome was coined in the 1980s after a flurry of deaths of individuals in custody or during arrests following extreme agitation. Excited delirium usually involved men in their 30s after cocaine, methamphetamine, or ecstasy abuse. And these cases were not limited to patients in custody. However, the fatal cases of excited delirium syndrome appeared in the hospital without any trauma, physical restraint, or police intervention. Given the significant morbidity and mortality rate of 8 to 10%, this syndrome remains of a great importance to the emergency medicine provider. Over 150 years since it was first described, there is still no standard definition of excited delirium syndrome, and diagnostic criteria have not been widely or universally recognized. While the American Psychiatric Association and the WHO, that's right, the World Health Organization, do not recognize this syndrome as a distinct clinical entity, the American College of Emergency Physicians, or ASAP, has recognized it since 2009. The ASAP definition of excited delirium syndrome includes acute delirium not linked to dementia or pre-existing pathologies associated with extreme physical and psychomotor agitation. The criteria for this diagnosis are inspired by a Canadian police census report and other case descriptions. All right, that's enough background information. Give us a clinical question that we'll try to answer. All right, what is the definition epidemiology pathophysiology, and evidence-based management and treatment of excited delirium. And the reference? Gonet, al. Excited Delirium, A Systematic Review, Academic Emergency Medicine, May 2018. Oh, it is hot off the press. Let's run through the PICO. What was the population? We start off with patients with excited delirium. Yeah, and then the intervention and comparison didn't really apply. It wasn't applicable to this study design. How about the outcomes? So the review outcome was to clarify and answer four questions. First, what are the definition or diagnostic criteria of the excited delirium syndrome? Second, what are the epidemiological characteristics of excited delirium, meaning the prevalence, incidence, and case characteristics? Next, what are the hypotheses and evidence about the pathophysiologic mechanisms underlying excited delirium? And finally, what are the evidence-based medicine, management, and treatment recommendations of the excited delirium syndrome? So the author's conclusions from this review were, quote, The overall quality of the studies was poor. A universally recognized definition is lacking, remaining mostly syndromic and based on clinical subjective criteria. High mortality rate may be due to definition inconsistency and reporting bias. Our results suggest that excited delirium syndrome is a real clinical entity that still kills people and that has probably specific mechanisms and risk factors. No comparative study has been performed to conclude whether one treatment approach is preferable to another in the case of excited delirium syndrome. All right, let's go through the quality checklist for systematic reviews. The first question, the clinical question, is it sensible and answerable? We'll say yes slash unsure for this one. They asked a whole lot of clinical questions, but they definitely seem sensible. The second question, the search for studies was detailed and exhaustive. It was. Were the primary studies of high methodological quality? 
No, they were not. This review highlights that many studies in this area are not of high quality. And the fourth question, the methodological quality of the primary studies were assessed for bias. Yes, they were. They used the grade criteria. And the assessments of the studies were reproducible? Yes, they were. Were the outcomes clinically relevant? Yes. Now, there's three more questions in the quality checklist for systematic reviews, but they're about meta-analyses and things like sensitivity, specificity, heterogeneity, effect size, and precision. So because of the poor quality of many studies in this area, there was no meta-analysis done, and so these questions do not really apply to this paper. All right, well, let's jump ahead to the key results. This review was an attempt to clarify and answer four questions that you mentioned earlier about excited delirium syndrome. So let's go through those four questions. The first one is they were looking for definition or diagnostic criteria for excited delirium syndrome. Yeah, so they found three retrospective studies totaling only 108 patients, which proposed a definition for the excited delirium syndrome. There was no universally accepted definition of excited delirium and a large variety of criteria were used, with the only prerequisite being, quote, delirium associated with excited behavior or agitation. So the second question they were trying to answer was about the epidemiology of excited delirium syndrome. For this, they found 23 articles related to the epidemiology of excited delirium. These studies came from excited delirium patients in the context of police interventions, pre-hospital emergency services, the forensic setting, and in hospital. Yeah, overall, excited delirium syndrome patients were middle-aged men with a mean age of in the early 30s. Let's get on to the third question, and this is about the pathophysiology of excited delirium syndrome. For this question, they found 38 articles, which were related to pathophysiology or risk factors with excited delirium mortality. A number of hypotheses were described. Yeah, they found 12 articles hypothesizing that catecholamine surge, either exogenous, like drugs, or endogenous, stress or physical exertion, or a combination of the two, like exertion plus cocaine. The old exertion plus cocaine. Yeah, nine articles proposed dopamine transporter pathway activation. And then six articles proposed individual variations in genetic susceptibility related to chronic stimulant-induced abnormalities or dopamine receptor variations. And there were a few less frequently proposed mechanisms as well. These included things like cocaine-induced neurotoxicity from reactive oxygen species in the central nervous system, as well as variations in alpha-synuclein protein or opioid receptors. I'm so happy you got to say that last one. All right, and drug abuse is the largest risk factor for excited delirium syndrome and was associated with excited delirium syndrome in 15 articles, cocaine being the most frequently associated drug. One article they looked at showed odds ratios of specific risk factors for fatal excited delirium from all cocaine-related deaths in Dade County, Florida from 1969 to 1990 showed that the biggest factors were male gender with an odds ratio of 9.3, young age odds ratio of 1.1, Afro-American origin odds ratio of 3.5, and overweight with an odds ratio of 2.7. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen 95% confidence intervals around those point estimates. And also, Chris, what do they mean by young? I mean, that's a moving target and goes up with every birthday which mine is next week, and I'll be 51. I'm sure I'm not considered young anymore. I don't know. I think the case actually might have mentioned somebody running into the emergency department dressed up in a Batman suit. I could see that in your future. Yeah, sometimes it's uh, not the years, but the maturity. Let's get to the fourth question, though. 
evidence-based management and treatment of excited delirium syndrome. For this, they identified 27 articles on the management and treatment of excited delirium. Yeah, and they identified some key points like restraint position. Yeah, don't restrain prone. That's always a big baddie. It's recommended to move the patients to a side-lying or seated position as soon as you can. And then there's chemical sedation. Yeah, so they looked at different chemical sedatives like benzodiazepines, neuroleptics, the combination of benzos and neuroleptics, as well as ketamine. How about hypothermia? Yeah, this wasn't mentioned in the article, but treatment is usually sedation, intubation, and external cooling. All right, let's move on to talk a little nerdy. Now, normally we have the lead author on the podcast to answer our nerdy questions. As mentioned earlier, there were some language barriers, which I totally understand. I would not want to discuss the nuances of my research in another language. Hopefully, we will soon have a universal translator, like on Star Trek, that works over Skype. Until then, Dr. Ghanan has agreed to respond in writing to our nerdy questions, and I'll post those on the SGEM blog. But let's get into those five nerdy points. Chris, you've got the first one. Yeah, so the first question is about the limits of evidence-based medicine. They did an exhaustive search, but there's just not much high-quality literature on this topic. This can be a limitation of evidence-based medicine, and what question, using a PICO format, would Dr. Gonan propose to study excited delirium? Yeah, I'd love him to form a PICO question and then go out and actually investigate it. And one of the problems is that leads to Nerdy point number two, the definition of excited delirium syndrome. There is no accepted definition, and that makes it hard to study. Now, ASAP has recognized this condition back in 2009. I'm interested what Dr. Ghanan's definition would be for this, and is there any type of progress towards a universal definition at this time? And how useful is establishing a definition clinically? These patients are often so agitated that it's more of an act of now- treat them and consider the diagnosis later. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's not one of those things where you can sit on them. The mortality is still quoted as being 8 to 10%. So we got to do something about it as soon as we see this. The next question would be about social determinants of health. So the risk factors associated with excited delirium syndrome seem to point towards a social problem. Young, male, African-American, substance abuse. The next question for Dr. Gonan would be, what strategies do you think could help address these social determinants of health so these individuals do not end up presenting to the police and then to the emergency department? For example, education, jobs, food security, access to mental health, drug treatment programs, etc. And the fourth point we wanted to talk about was police and law enforcement. Great emergency care starts in the pre-hospital setting and goes all the way through to follow-up after discharge from the hospital and everything in between. Much of the literature found was from a non-traditional emergency medicine sources. Police are a very important part of the healthcare system, especially in mental health and trauma. Are there any specific management recommendations from the police studies? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I mean, this is one area in particular where the patients present via police, not via ambulance. So, you know, this is a super important question. The final question is pharmacological management. So a variety of treatments have been proposed for use in excited delirium. The clinician's first choice may identify when they trained, for example, the B52 or type of benzo or antipsychotic they use. Ketamine is becoming a treatment for everything. I mean, we use it for procedural sedations, intubations, depression, pain control, even seizure. What are your thoughts on the best medication and what agent do you routinely use first? Can you be specific about the drugs and doses as table six in the article shows these very big ranges? 
And what is something someone could take from this podcast and use on their next shift? As an aside, one thing is for ketamine, if you're giving it intramuscularly to get 400 milligrams, give it as two separate vastus lateralis injections on each side, just because you'll get too much of a depot and it won't really be effective if you give the whole 400. And finally, what about the management of hyperthermia in these cases? Those are the five questions we're going to ask Dr. Ghanan, and we'll wait for get those written responses, and I'll post them in the blog. We always leave an open-ended question right at the end, and that is if there was anything else that Dr. Ghanan or his colleagues wanted the SGMers to know about their research on excited delirium syndrome. But let's move on to comment on the author's conclusions and compare them to the SGM's conclusions. We agree with the author's conclusions, Ken. All right, how about a bottom line? The excited delirium syndrome remains a poorly defined disease and is difficult to study because of its inconsistent definition. However, it is definitely a dangerous, high morbidity and high mortality condition that requires aggressive management in the emergency department. And can you resolve that case that you presented? After attempting to calm Batman verbally, you give him several doses of midazolam and his agitation subsides. His vital signs normalize and after a few hours, he is more lucid and no longer thinks he is Batman. He admits to using methamphetamine earlier, and you have a discussion about the dangers of drug use and offer support for drug cessation. So how are you going to take this information and apply it clinically? Excited delirium is a life-threatening medical condition, and we must act on it quickly and aggressively in order to treat the patient and protect staff. And the last question, what do you tell the patient who's going, I'm Batman? This is definitely a tough one. We're supposed to try first to use a calm, soothing voice and a nice dimly lit room and say you are extremely agitated because of a serious medical condition and or drugs that you may have taken. We need to give you some medication to calm you down as this is life-threatening and you are both a danger to yourself and others if we don't do anything about this. All right, it's time for the Keener Contest, and last week's winner was Peter Trachey. He knew that Bane was the supervillain who broke Batman's back, leaving him crippled and wheelchair-bound. This is a back-to-back win for Peter, and I'll be sending him a special cool skeptical prize. What have you got for a question this week? So let's go back to Luther Bell's 1849 article on Bell's Mania. And we want you to give us two of the differential diagnoses he considered for excited delirium, or Bell's mania. If you know the answer, then send an email to the sgem at gmail.com with Keener in the subject line. The first correct answer will receive a cool, skeptical prize. There are some other FOMED resources on this, and I'll list them in the blog. So, now it's your turn, SGMers. What do you think of this episode on the excited delirium syndrome? Tweet your comments using hashtag SGMHOP. And what questions do you have for Dr. Gonan and his team? Ask them on the SGM blog. The best social media feedback will be published in Academic Emergency Medicine. And don't forget, those of you who are subscribers to Academic Emergency Medicine can head over to the AEM homepage and get CME credits for this podcast and article. We'll put the process in the show notes. Now, we need to do a conference update, Chris. I'm heading off to Indianapolis on Monday for the SAEM conference. And I'll be hosting SAEM's Got Talent and doing an SGEM Live with PE guru Jeff Klein. We even have a world premiere music video about the perk rule. You, how do you have so much time to make music videos? It's just totally absurd. You're just like, I'm just going to put out a podcast every week and make music videos on the side. This man has no life except educating the masses. 
So then you and I are going to be at Cape Conference at the end of May. So this is the 40th anniversary of CAPE, the Canadian Association of Emergency Physicians annual conference. There's going to be over a thousand attendees. We're going to have some cool stuff. We're going to have, we've got some great plenaries. We've got Brian Goldman from CBC who just recently published a book on kindness. We also have Jeff Klein again, who's making his way around all the major conferences of North America. We've got Richard Bartram from WestJet, who's a great speaker and can tell us about applying customer service to the emergency department and how we can get everybody on the team to buy in to what we're doing. And then we also have the final plenary, which is the top four abstracts. The one other thing I want to highlight is we've got a foam bar this year. So for the first time ever, CAPE is having a foam bar. And what that is, is we're going to have a booth where myself, Ken, other great foam people like Teresa Chan, Catherine Patoka, Rob Bryant, Lauren Westifer, they're going to be there and we're going to help you out just walk through how to use foam on a day-to-day basis, whether that's Twitter, feed aggregators, podcasts, blogs, whatever. Just come see us, get a free drink, and we'll chat about foam. It's going to be great. I'm really looking forward to it, actually, the the Cape one. I didn't know Jeff was coming. Maybe you guys could talk him into doing a live version of the perk rule video. Maybe you could sing it live on stage at Cape. You challenge him, okay? And I'm also really excited because I'm gonna be doing a episode, an SGM Extra episode with Brian Goldman on kindness. And I've got something special for him. I think you'll like it. And I'm gonna be doing a three act play on the history of social media. Yes, that's right, a three act play. And I'll try to I'll try to broadcast that out on Facebook Live if I can. And we've got Stampede Beam. Oh, you better go to Stampede Beam because I am gonna be riding in in a very unique way. Stay tuned. All right, Chris, sounds like we've got some exciting things to do this month, but there's only one exciting thing left to do for this podcast. Give us the tagline. Remember to be skeptical of anything you learn, even if you heard it here on the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Talk to everyone next time.